Welcome to On the Bench. I am Brendan Sinone. This music is not shitty Joshua Newberg. Got Chris Nee and Zach Blossing as well. Fellas, how was your weekend? I don't care, actually. Let's just get down to it. The NFL draft happened. The NFL draft happened. I nerded out on it. Chris did as well. Uh, some FSU players were selected somewhere, and that takes us here to On the Bench. So let's start off with the positive, fellas. Chris, I'm going to throw this to you. Asante Samuel Jr., the first FSU player taken on the draft. He did not go day one. He did not go the first round, but he does go day two, second round to the LA Chargers, 47th overall, joins Derwin James in La La Land. Uh, seems like a really good fit. Yeah. I mean, the ballpark for him was always about 35 to 50, I think is probably fair. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think we all thought he was going to go off around 35 to 40 and be truthful. But yeah, LA is a good landing spot. Derwin James pushed for him. That's always good to see a little no on no love. And I think we've seen that L.A. defensively is a very aggressive team that allows their DBs to kind of live on that island and do what they have to do at times. So I think it plays to Asante's strengths. I think it's a good landing spot for him. And they had Desmond King a couple of years ago that was an undersized defensive back who was really quick, really physical. So they know how to utilize that type of guy. That's really the, the main reason why Asante Samuel Jr. doesn't go in the first round is, is pretty much his size because everything else uh, – to steal Chris Neism checks the boxes. He's just was a extremely consistent, competitive cornerback, good technique, good testing numbers. Uh, production was there. Just everything was there. Just it lacked optimal size, but he goes to a franchise that knows how to, how to utilize DBs in a way to maximize their strengths, uh, high weaknesses. So yeah, it's good for Asante Samuel Jr. I, I want to get into a couple of the other names here that were drafted, but I think the probably the biggest storyline of the week for Florida State uh, is is probably the the decline of Marvin Wilson and uh, Tamar and Terry to a lesser extent. But neither of those neither of those guys getting drafted. Josh, do, do you want to paint a picture? Remember, like two December's ago, how excited we were that day when when we were able to confirm that Marvin and we got the stories ready that that Tamar and Marvin were coming back uh, and had that ready to go, and then they announced it. Just how crazy of a of a shift that was from that day that they were coming back all the hopes and dreams to uh, this weekend. Oh man, I had drafted. some really bad, I had some really bad Twitter takes. If anybody um, wants to go back and find it from that, from that time period, old takes exposed. I, that day Miami had a decommitment. I don't remember who it was. I don't know if it was a big decommitment or what, but Florida state, got the word from Marvin and Terry that they're coming back. And I compared it to landing five, two five stars. <laughs> well, you know, at the time <laughs> I, I said, Mike Norvell, Oh, look at Mike Norvell lands two five stars and Manning loses a recruit, you know, something to that effect. And it didn't age well. I don't, I, I get it at the time. Yeah. I tweeted it at the time. It, of course it sounded good, but it did not age well. Both we would have been, I mean, hindsight, hindsight's 2020, but FSU would have been better off had they just gone pro last year and they would have been better off. They certainly Everybody would have been better off. Yeah, it's certainly, yeah, both, both parties or all three, I guess, in this case would have been better off. So uh, Marvin Wilson does land with the Cleveland Browns and gets a pretty lucrative uh, guaranteed contract. I think 192,000 combined between the signing bonus and then the guaranteed salary for a non-drafted free agent. That's a ton. I'm not sure of Tamari and Terry's uh, deal. He signs with Seattle Seahawks. And uh, and I think that's a pretty good landing spot for him. There, there's a spot for a fourth or fifth receiver on a pretty good wide receiving unit. Uh, but both those guys now have to grind to make NFL rosters. And, and where we were when Josh is saying that those are two five-star commitments for Mike Norvell to today. Uh, 
a stark contrast. But, but, but Josh, you weren't, you weren't surprised, I guess, as you were telling us that you, you'd said on a, another podcast that won't be named on, on, on the bench here that you weren't surprised that Marvin Wilson went undrafted, right? No, I said on the big three roll that no! basically not, <laughs> nothing that I saw on film would have led me if I was putting myself in like a NFL GM's perspective when I was talking about this and, you know, having watched every FSU game for the last 10 years, I know what good defensive tackle play looks like. And I saw a defensive tackle that couldn't, couldn't win one-on-one battles against lowly teams. And that's to me what it came down to nothing else to me, but besides the fact that Marvin Wilson, who had a pretty good, had an outstanding 2019, was like a shell of himself last year. And he didn't help the team on or off the field, in my opinion. I think that probably came back to hurt him a little bit, but mainly due to his on-field performance. I I think he dropped primarily due to his on-field performance. But here's a question I got for you, Chris. Byer Sinone, okay? J-Rob going in the fourth was a bigger surprise than Marvin going undrafted. Do you buy that? I should have known that. Um, J-Rob moved up drastically because of that senior ball performance combined with great measurements and good athleticism. The NFL was willing to take somebody they feel they can develop if they have a lot of pieces. I think J-Rob, because of the fact that he played out last year, he showed some progress throughout his college career, albeit maybe not what we hoped we would see out of him in his college career, combined with the very strong senior ball performance, which would I would say is a linchpin moment, a launching pad moment for him as far as ascending up draft boards. I think that makes it less of a surprise, personally. Um, I mean, on Marvin and Terry, they torpedoed themselves over the last 12 months. If we're going to just be honest about it, they in the book of how to handle this process leading up to trying to go professional and making boatloads of money, neither of them did anything in particular to help themselves, you know, between injuries, leaving the team, quitting the team, however you want to phrase that they both dealt with that. Terry didn't show improvement as a route runner. Wilson was dreadful at the senior bowl before basically opting out of it because of injury. I mean, what have either of those two young men done since the moment they announced they were coming back that made them more valuable as potential draft picks. The NFL is not going to waste money on guys who seem to be descending, not ascending. And I think that's the difference between Robinson versus those other two. Yeah. We've, we've seen some, some poor decisions made. I, I can't, I think this kind of goes back to like the Tavares McFadden decision to go pro. I mean, he, he did the other, you know, he left early went undrafted, you know, the, the rest is history. Um, and then uh, this mistake not to go when they could have gone. I, I don't, but I'm not really I, buying I the fact that Marv was a first rounder, but I definitely think he was a second or third rounder. Well, I think it's a load of crap if you had a first round grade last year, personally, that's my individual opinion. I, I don't think Terry would have been drafted much higher last year, if at all. Uh, Terry's not a good route runner. He's kind of a one trick pony. If we're being honest, I love his speed. I love his ability at his size and he could develop in something special but there's a hell of a lot of receivers out there and there's a lot who do the craft a lot better than he does. Like I, his issue was he got no better year over year in the sense of improving at his weaknesses. And I think that's what hurt him the most truthfully in this draft combined with quitting the team and, you know, some red flag issues, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tamoran had some character issues and that was. The that biggest was- surprise to me was Kando. 
No, but so he, and he falls in the very similar. Him. He falls in the very similar realm, though, Chris is as J Rob in terms of both yeah. the, te- the testing. Both of those guys are like 90th percentile athletic, but a sports. lot of injury history with Kendo. Yes. And yeah. I'm happy as heck for Kendo. Kendo was elated. Mm-hmm. I watched his interview with the Kansas City Chiefs media after he got drafted and he could really, really put together a lot of sentences because he was just, he was just ecstatic. He was extremely happy. He's had kind of a rough go, especially since 2019. And he was sort of beside himself, thankful for the moment, thanking God, very happy and looking forward to getting in Chiefs kingdom and, working his backside off and working under guys like Chris Jones and Frank Clark and taking to it. But like fourth round for Kando surprised me. I, I thought Kando would get drafted, but I thought it would be six, maybe seven because of the injury history more than anything. Yeah, I we thought, thought the same with, with J-Rob. Oh, J-Rob was like the draft. I remember texting Chris because you guys know I nerd out. So I'm listening to all the draft podcasts. And that was one guy that like people kept talking about like it's the third round or just because of the testing and, uh, you you look at him first guy off the bus type so that, that yeah, was he one got, he got that Jim Nagy stamp of approval after the mm-hmm. senior bowl and right. the senior bowl week goes a long way that's kind of a group think place where if you make a move it can really help you the the young man alignment from Wisconsin Whitewater Quincy Mertz is that his Mertz, name the center yeah I could do two yeah, he, he's another guy that senior ball he I mean he jumped off the page and drastically moved up in the world so yeah those types go with the way the draft process goes, but you got to do yourself some favors along the way in the mm-hmm. process. And I, I'm hoping guys that are younger players that are still in the college game at FSU are paying attention to what happened this year, because I think it tells a great story of just keep your nose to the grindstone, keep working, do your best. And maybe it falls in your way like it did for Jay Robin, as it did for Kando. I think Kando winning a lot of favor from the coaching staff and people around Tallahassee probably did him a lot of good in the draft process when the interviews came about. I don't know that the same can be said for the two individuals who were not drafted. Yeah. I'll just want to throw this out there and then we can move to, to Hamsa because he got drafted as well and deserves a, a few minutes to be talked about. But uh, one thing, and if you guys disagree with me or want to elaborate, please do. But with, with Marvin Wilson, I know it's popular narrative to talk about what happened over the summer and invoicing criticism of, of Mike Novell is the reason why he didn't get drafted. Um, digging around a little bit I've talked to a couple of different sources now at this point and and I am confident that I don't I don't think the way that situation was handled uh, was well received by NFL teams I don't think it helped him that's not why he, he didn't get drafted he didn't get drafted because as Chris said he was descending Josh said he had a step back in 2020 he wasn't able to win individual matchups consistently uh, there were like NFL teams that were watching him at the senior bowl and just saying okay he's, he's top heavy uh, his lower body movement just is is not swift. He had bad film this whole year, and now he's getting worked in the senior bowl. Uh, multiple knee injuries. Uh, you weren't able to vet and do medical concerns as much as you normally would uh, in a normal, you know, non-pandemic type of offseason. So you weren't able to really get the full check out there, I think, too. Those are the factors. And then, and then if you had any sort of concerns of whether he's uh, someone who's going to, you know, criticize publicly leadership, which is something the NFL is not privy to. They don't enjoy that. Uh, it's very militant in, in, in that way. Uh, we want everyone to fall in line and, and tow the company line. Um, that didn't help, but really ultimately he, he gets drafted if he has this similar seat. If he has the same season in 2020 as in 2019, we're not talking about him not getting drafted today. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, that's all just put that there through, through actual like re- reporting and, and research here. Uh, on, and one, I'll take, to bed. You want to talk I'll about Hamza since, you know, I love Hamza. Mm-hmm. Um, six round New York Jets, a little bit later than I think we thought he probably would go. But again, injuries is probably a reason for that. Um, 
you know, the Jets listening to both their general manager and their head coach talk about him one day, fully intend to move him to linebacker. They drafted him and Jamie and Short, Sherwood from Auburn, who's another safety, and they intend to move both to linebacker. Uh, Sayla, the head coach for the Jets, talked about how, you know, it's very tough to evaluate linebackers in today's college game because of the RPO game and so much trickeration with quarterbacks and the run game with quarterbacks that those safeties are very easy to move down. He kind of talked about John Lynch and how late in Lynch's career when he became more of a box line, or I'm sorry, he went from being a safety to more of a linebacker living in the box that he would almost begin at the safety depth and then walk down just because it allowed him to be comfortable. He was talking about the transition that those guys will face in uh, Hamps's case and Sherwood's case. And, you know, they, they were really happy with him. Uh, one thing that was praised was that he – is super competitive, wanted to play, that he battled back from that injury, suffered late in the 2019 season to come back and play a few games just because he wanted to. That is very in line with who and what Hamza was as we knew him last year with what we would hear during that whole process of trying to come back is that he was itching to come back, that he desired to play despite the team having a great deal of struggles. So I think that kind of shows the, if you show buy-in, it usually buys you some positive vibes from the NFL community. I got a question, Brendan. There was always like a weird thing going on with Hamza and what Norvell would say at the interviews and whether or not he would be back. Like what was really going on there? Okay. All right. I'm being put on the spot. So a, a couple of factors, and this isn't a hundred percent. This is what I heard. I believe it to be true enough to where I'm confident saying this here, uh, but it was enough for me to write it down on a piece of paper and report it, if that makes sense. So, so I've couched it enough. Uh, I believe that Hamza did have a setback with the knee injury at some point in the uh, spring. No, I think it was no, close. It was preseason. Oh, preseason. That's right. That's when we saw him in the that in, video, that brief yes. video clip where he was in a full leg, a full leg cast. And I cast also was told sort, that he had a, he had a procedure as well at that around that time to where there was actually like operation going on too. So so there was a setback which pushed him back a little bit now why the timeline of remember early on this is one thing that was strange when they were kind of saying well maybe we'll get him back soon and that mm-hmm. was in the beginning of the season that was something that i never could quite understand why it was happening. i couldn't tell okay just my thoughts i couldn't tell if it was hamza was the one that was basically i thought he was basically going to sit out the season no no I, so he never I, wanted to i think hamza wanted to play i think people in his camp wanted him to be very careful and not yes. and i think fsu wanted him to play if he was safe and healthy and their medical staff was saying that he would be okay so it was a matter of, of i got that. the feeling that we were being like it was being communicated that like hamza's healthy but hamza's not playing i kind of got those vibes I think he was capable of taking to a football field roughly two to three weeks before he officially did. I think it's the best way I can. So you think it's the FSU doctors that cleared him? No, I think it was all parties involved. I think everybody wanted to make sure they were good to go with it. And Hamza, as normal with a player, was chomping at the bit for a guy who's competitive and wants to get out there. I think FSU was fairly comfortable with where he was at in a couple weeks prior to when he did make the return to the field. I think it was a matter of all three, Hamza, Hamza's family slash camp and FSU being on the same page. And it took until the point where it actually did happen for that to become the the reality of the situation. Yeah, it was just always a very weird tension in the air whenever we would ask Norvell about it. And his answers were very cryptic. And it was just, it was always 
odd. I always me, I always wondered if the preseason procedure was something meniscus related because that would be usually a six to eight week type of window, mm-hmm. which would play out to when the timeline of him being capable of coming back sort of was. We never got clarity on that. Though. Yeah, I, I think I misspoke her when I said it was reaggravated. I don't know for a fact that it was the same because mm-hmm. he had the ACL deal, I believe, uh, at the end of 2019. I don't know that it was the same injury. I just know it was it was to the same knee uh, and that a procedure was was needed. So, yeah, uh, it, it was weird. It was a weird deal, Josh, because it's just the, the timeline of it never quite seemed to align. Uh, but, you know, he got to play. I think those I think him getting onto the field for those final two games was helpful in him getting drafted. I think that gave teams a team a peace of mind to say, okay, you know, you're still not hundred percent, but showed like what you, what you can be moving in that direction. Um, so that was good on Hamza. It's a really good fit in New York too, uh, because they, the idea of using him as like a speedy linebacker, I think makes a lot of sense. And their, their head coach is a really, really brilliant defensive mind. He'll be with LaMarcus Joyner there in New York. Uh, Joyner is obviously a safety for them as he has been in his NFL career, but LJ is the kind of guy that's usually pretty good at helping younger players. He's, you know, that's two competitive dudes hanging out beside each other. Mm-hmm. There. Some uh, final facts on draft that FSU provided. They've had 292 draft picks all time. This weekend they eclipsed 200, I think, dating back to 1984. I want to say that either Kando or Robinson was a 200, and then obviously Hampson pushed it over that. Um at least one selected in 38 straight drafts. That's dating back to 84. That's the eighth longest active streak in the nation. 47 picks since 2013, six highest total in the nation. Each player selected in 2021 was selected by a team that already had a 7-1 roster. So, you know, J-Rob's joining Delvin Cook in Minnesota. Naughty and uh, Kando will be together with Kansas City. Um, and then Asante obviously joining Derwin, as we referenced that he talked about him. Multiple defensive backs taken in the same draft for the 13th time in program history. FSU is obviously still counting Hamps as a defensive back, despite him being drafted as a linebacker because he played DB his entire time here. Um, 34 FSU defensive backs have been selected in the last 34 NFL drafts. That's a pretty impressive one. When you want to make the argument for DBU, which I know Brendan loves doing on Twitter, that's one you can always point to. Just Florida, just Florida, Florida is not DBU is more the argument I would make. 19 DBs in the first two rounds all time. Uh, multiple defensive linemen picked in the same draft for the 13th time all since 1990. That's mighty impressive. Over a 31-year span, 13 times in 31 years, they've had multiple D linemen in the same draft. So those are some of the nice ones. 53 D linemen all time, 34 in the first four rounds. Uh, 11th time, at least four FSU defensive players were selected in the same draft this year. Seventh occurrence since 01 in that sense. And uh, FSU still holds the ACC record for most draft picks in a single year with 11 in both 2013 and 2015. And the Seminoles, 44 first-round picks since 73, ranked sixth nationally. They have 24 first-rounders since 2010, also tied for sixth in the country in that time. All right, that wraps up our draft coverage. Hey, real quick, uh, real quick, and then we'll get to some uh, recruiting information here. Chris over under on two and a half. I'm just making up this uh, as I'm thinking really quickly. I didn't plan this. Two and a half. Byers Sinone, three plus FSU players being drafted next year. Hmm. Let's workshop this together. Jermaine Johnson, I think, is the most likely guy to be drafted. Do we all agree? Based yes. On what we've seen? Yes. Presuming Josh? he's productive, but yes. Yes. He has the best chance. So that's one. After that, it gets a little. 
little dicey. Um, Robert Cooper is someone who comes to mind, but that's someone who does one thing well, and that's not valued as much as the other thing, which is pass rushing. So I, I don't feel confident. Like that would be half a half a point for me. So one and a half. Yeah, I love it falls in that category too, right? He would be draft eligible, but he would have to have a step up a kind big, of year. Big, big season. Um, we'll give him half a point too. So two. There's, I mean, I don't, I don't know that Love Taylor gets drafted. I definitely think he ends up in a camp. Um, to some degree, mm-hmm. he reminds me a bit of Ryan Roberts in that sense. Mm-hmm. Ryan ended up an undrafted free agent. Mm-hmm. Um, Ontario Wilson's probably like an undrafted free agent type two. And McDonald, I mean, he's athletically impressive, and he's a fairly good catcher, and he's become a better blocker in his career. You, you know, we see Trey McKitty going, what, third, fourth round? I, I don't think it's insanely far-fetched to think McDonald could go. Um, but, like, I wouldn't bet money on it. I'm synoning it right now as of as of today. Uh, I'll we'll buy it. What was the number two to three? I said we're going to say three. Uh, more three. than three. Oh. More than three. So you're saying four. That's more I'm than saying. three? No. I'll synone it more than okay. three. I think it could be a push. Joshua? Recruiting, let's get oh. it. All right. Take it over to recruiting. Um, there was a big announcement over the weekend. Lee County High School four-star outside linebacker Jerron Willis announced his decision to commit to Georgia Tech. What? Uh, I want to bring Zach in here. Um, Jerron Willis is a prospect that was on the FSU Top 10 Most Wanted. He was at the spring game. He had Florida State in his final group, um, but Jerron Willis announced for the Yellow Jackets on Saturday. Zach, what happened? Yeah, so this really came down to um, his preferred position at the college level. Um, He was between playing linebacker or more of like a hybrid safety role at the next level. School, Like different schools have been recruiting him at both positions. Florida State, for instance, has been recruiting him more as a traditional linebacker. Whereas schools like Georgia Tech and Ole Miss have been recruiting him as more of a hybrid safety, he kind of sat down and was like, "Okay, I think I fit more as a as a as a safety." Um, he visited Georgia Tech for their spring game. Um, I think it was the week after Florida State or two weeks after. Um, he liked that visit. It's a school that's pretty close to home for him, and and that's ultimately why he he told me he chose that school. Yeah, uh, I you guys all switched your crystal balls to Georgia Tech, but I got diamond hands and I stuck with Florida State. Um, The reason I stuck with Florida State is because Jerron Willis still plans to take, is it four official visits in the month of June? I think three. Three official visits. Okay. Florida State's one of them. Um, Where else is he? I think, I believe he's going to end up at, going to take a visit to Florida and Arkansas as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's going to be four because he'll take his Georgia Tech visit at some point, too. I don't know if it'll be in June, but he's going to take a full slate of visits after he's made his commitment. So I, I understand that Georgia Tech is is recruiting really well. But do you think that Florida State's still in the hunt for Jerron Willis? I do, um, but obviously it's just going to come down to him. Like, I don't think Florida State's going to move off of you know, their preferred position for him and where they like them, where they like him in their defense. So if they don't, I don't really see a a situation where he ends up at FSU because he already made the decision to commit to Georgia Tech um, this time around. And if, if it's the same circumstance, 
mean, obviously he gets to go on those visits and see these schools in person and talk to the coaches. But at the end of the day, he, he he's going to commit to the school where he he wants to or a position that he wants to play. So I, I don't know. I, I think if if that doesn't change as far as where he prefers to play, I, I don't see how Florida State ends up as the option. Recruiting. That's what these guys get paid the big bucks to do. You got to convince these you got to it's their job to convince the best prospects in America America to come to FSU. Yeah. I don't believe that it's the recruits job to find FSU and, and you know that's their choice. It's these guys get paid almost millions of dollars to bring the best talent to Florida State. Um Chris, if it's not Jerron Willis at linebacker, who do you like at linebacker as we head wow. into the summer? Oh, no. I like EJ Lightsey. We all know this, right, Zach? Yep. <laughs> now, I, I love EJ Lightsey. He's a young man that's actually scheduled an official to FSU in June, as Zach reported a couple of days ago. There's Wesley, Wesley Bassaint down there in South Florida. Uh, Omar, Omar down there. In, yeah, Omar Graham down in South Florida. Couple other guys are still after. I think what will is it comes down to on the official FSU's got to sit him down and convince him that he is a linebacker. I, I find it difficult for the kid to believe he can truly play safety at the college level with his current he's, measurement. He's a listed 6'2, 220, and we saw him in person at the spring he game. Than that. He's a thick, yeah. big kid. He looks like a backer in every which way, but you got to convince him of that. And so you can't credit, lie to him. And credit to Georgia Tech staff for out-recruiting everybody else because that's what they did in this one. Yeah, and Georgia Tech can tell him he's a safety, and he might be a safety in their version of safety because they will use a big-body guy as sort of a safety. I forget what they call it. It's you know, one of those unique spider or stud or one of those right. type things. They got a hybrid role for it. Um, but he is a linebacker in body type. He is a linebacker at the level after college if he makes it there. And in FSU's case, they need to show him what they can do with him as a linebacker that makes it appealing to him. And you let the chips fall where they may. Some people are like, you should lie to him and just tell him he can play safety here. Yeah, the transfer portals change that. You lie that hard, he comes mm-hmm. here and he's a linebacker. Day one, his ass is hopping in the portal. So, like, it's not worthwhile to do that. Is it disappointing to lose a kid to Georgia Tech, especially a kid that – I think all three or four of us would say we think it's a pretty valuable and talented young man. Yeah, but it doesn't cripple them at the linebacker position. They have other options, and they're still pursuing them. Yeah, I think um, I'm going to leave my crystal ball on FSU. We're going to see how this plays out in the summer. I mean, we're going to know by July 1st, basically, where he stands with regards to the position. I yes, think. July 1st, yeah. So after the month of June, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll know a lot more. Um, any other recruiting? Yeah, we got some uh, – I want to hit on the quarterback position. You know, A.J. Duffy committed to FSU last week. We had the emergency podcast. Um, since then, we saw some silence from FSU QB commit Nico Markiel, and then he broke the silence with a Bible verse. And – you know, I've, I've covered recruiting for a long time. And the Bible verse usually one, means one thing. It means a respect my decision is coming soon. Um, Nico, though, has not decommitted. He actually gave a um, statement to Zach. Zach, you want to you want to come on here? And Nico reached out or you reached out to Nico yesterday. He had a little response for you. Yeah, so I basically reached out and told him, um, you know, I'm not going to hound him or anything about all this stuff that's going on um, with, with rumors flying that he may decommit or, or something like that. And he, he got back to me and basically said, 
that everyone's been asking him the same question and he let me know to tell everyone he's not decommitting. Um, you know, that's his words, not mine. Uh, I, th I still think this is a, a unique situation and we'll see how it plays out. But, um, you know, I have reason to believe he's, he's in contact with FSU and he might be in contact with some other schools um, um, since AJ Duffy announced his decision. So we'll see how this plays out over the summer. Obviously, he'll be allowed to take visits. And I'm sure, um, you know, if he if he only visits FSU over the summer, that's a good sign. If he takes mm -hmm. some visits elsewhere, you know where things are in, uh, heading. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it just comes down to if he if he does end up taking some other visits, that's obviously something to worry about. Yeah. And recruiting's fluid. And I could say this right now and it could change by the time we publish it. But I think things are going to cool down. I think all the rumors of, of you know, over Duffy and Mark Eel, I think everything's going to cool down for the month of May since teams go back to spring football and visit, you know, visits will show themselves. Um, Nico's had no issue getting to Florida State's campus a bunch on his own dime. So now that the month of June's here and the camps are here, I fully expect him to be here. If if something transpires where he's not, that's all we need to see. Um, but otherwise, you know, Florida State's fine. You know, Florida State wants to take two quarterbacks. So this isn't a situation where only one of them can sign with FSU. FSU would love to have both of them. Um, it just, things might be a little dicey right now, but I do think, you know, cooler heads will prevail and we'll head into the month of June and, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. And Nico himself is diving into spring football. He begins, is it today? Is that what he told you? Probably. Yeah. I'm sure IMG starts soon. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure he starts today. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, him and AJ will both dive into that. We'll see where things kind of prevail. I think June will probably provide some clarity on, you know, if he's staying, if he's going, or if he's at least got a wandering eye. All right, Brandon, that's all I got for recruiting today. Hey, when do the camps, I was going to say it's not the prospect camps, but the uh, the youth camps for FSU begin? That's Thursday. Soon, right? Yeah, it's this week. Yeah. They're in South Florida starting this week. So are they taking the entire staff or like majority of the staff to each place and going from city to city? Is They're taking the entire on-field staff and entire off-field staff, to my knowledge. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. All right. Well, we'll see. Field trip. We'll see if anything comes of that. Maybe, maybe if they're in your neck of the woods, Josh, go hang out with them. And yeah, I'm gonna go check it out. Maybe I know they're they're hitting Lakeland, Orlando. I don't know if they're hitting Tampa or St. Pete, and then they'll probably hit like Bradenton, Fort Myers area as well. So I'll I'll, I'll probably stop by one of those. I was gonna play a buyers to know whether Nico Markiel signs with FSU, but we won't. I won't do that to you. Yeah, we. I won't do it. But that was. I just want transparency. That was on the radar, and I'm. I'm. I'm pulling it back. I didn't feel it today. We're it's gonna calm day. down. Things are gonna calm down. All right. So let's wrap up the podcast here. I don't have a whole lot else to go over. We need some content ideas for May. So you know, people want to get <laughs> yeah, us through yeah. through this slow May. I said May was gonna be a pivotal month for recruiting. I changed that <laughs> after AJ Duffy commits a few days before the month of May. That kind of changed things a little bit because I thought we'd get. So I'm I'm not changing my answer. No, you're correct. I was wrong by like three days. Such is life. Such is life. There's the sound early. clip. Cut it right there. Just keep it forever. <laughs> also, this is for for Newton Noel. Floor, ceiling, you owe me a bourbon. The ceiling is a floor.
For On the Bench, I'm Brendan Sinone. Thanks to Chris Snee, Josh Newberg, and Zach Blostein for joining me. We'll talk to you guys. I was going to say later this week. I don't know. We'll see. TBD. OTB. EYE. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. For the movie that hits like a bus. In a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls. Made at PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.